Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. The requirements for hospital price transparency are rapidly evolving, as are the penalties for not complying with these requirements. Joining me today are Fred Stodelak, CEO of Panacea Healthcare Solutions, and Govi Goyal, Executive Vice President of Financial and Revenue Integrity Services, to discuss the latest around CMS rulemaking in this area and what hospitals can do to remain compliant. Fred and Govi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Mike. Thank you. Great to have you back. Um, so let's start off. On July 9th of this year, President Biden issued an executive order that contained a directive towards price transparency. What was the substance of that order and how has it impacted providers? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Mike. So I, I think it's important for, for folks to know that the executive order by President Biden that was released on July 9th contained 72 initiatives that really spanned multiple industries. Now, there was a significant emphasis on healthcare. Uh, especially as it pertains to prescription drug and hearing aids, uh, the standardization of health plans and insurance marketplace that's, that will allow consumers to compare costs uh, and a lot on competition antitrust law as it pertains to hospital mergers. For example, the, the top 10 health systems in the U.S. make up a quarter of the market share. Uh, this is really why the, the executive order is leading leaning on the DOJ and FTC to enforce antitrust laws and even go as far as to challenge some of these prior uh, mergers that may have been questionable. So the common denominator here in, in President's executive order, as it pertains to the healthcare industry, is really centered around consumerism, uh, decreasing costs and making healthcare uh, more affordable for the patients. So when there's when there is a lack of competition, that typically means higher prices and reduced quality care. So President Biden has directives in the order uh, that encourages agencies such as the FTC to, uh, for example, ban pay for delay that limits competition and results in increased drug prices uh, and directs the, the HHS to consider allowing prescriptive hearing aids to be sold over the counter. Uh, those are just some examples. All of this dovetails in two of the hottest topics happening in healthcare right now, and the purpose of this podcast here really is price transparency and surprise billing. There's language in, in this executive order that directs the HHS to support existing price transparency rules and to finalize the legislation that addresses surprise billing. Uh, and while the, the jury's still out as to whether prices will go down uh, as a result of price transparency, uh, one thing is certain that price transparency will put a spotlight. Uh, it's going to put a spotlight on the variation in prices and negotiate rates across and within geographic regions. In terms of uh, the Surprise Billing Act, uh, it is intended to provide protection to patients that would otherwise be stuck paying high out-of-pocket costs because they receive their services from an out-of-network provider. You know, we've come a long way since the Affordable Care Act that was signed back in 2010, but uh, many hospitals out there are still struggling to, to adapt and fully comply 
uh, with with these with these requirements. So this executive order, in, in large part, is is really about the enfor- enforcement of the rule. So it's taken more seriously from providers. And Govi, can you tell me more about the surprise billing and the impact to providers? Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a timely question, uh, Mike. When you surprise, so surprise billing really happens when a patient goes to a hospital to receive care. And the facility, the facility is a network for that patient's health insurance, but but the physician or treating provider is out of network. So un- under the scenario, often the patient, the patient has 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 no choice or, or knowledge at the time of care that the physician is out of network, and ultimately receives a, a high surprise bill. Often it's often significantly higher than if the physician was in network. You know, another common scenario is when uh, a patient is simply taken to a facility that, that is out of network. Um, often in a, an emergency situation, the, the patient, again, has no choice of the facility or the ambulance service. Uh, and according to CMS studies, have shown the amount to be uh, more than 10 times higher than would otherwise have been billed from in-network providers. It's important to note that these these new rules apply to hospital-based and freestanding emergency services. <clears throat> so the the No Surprise Act really is a, a major shift in in dictating how providers may bill for patients that are out of network, also known as the as balanced billing, and the limitations put on cost sharing for enrollees. You know what we're finding here is that the two biggest areas that uh, providers seem to need the most guidance here in kind of interpreting the No Surprise Act is, A, w- what is in scope? So are there any exceptions where balanced billing is allowed? And B, uh, what's, what's the methodology for identifying or calculating uh, the patient responsibility for, for these out-of-network plans? So for example, the... The No Surprise Act prohibits healthcare facilities and providers uh, from balance billing covered services, even even in emer- even in non-emergent cases, unless certain conditions are met. One of those conditions pertains to uh, what's referred to as notice and consent, and having those requirements being satisfied. So, in other words, if if the non-participating provider gives written notice to the patient or author or authorized representative and there are requirements regarding regarding these written notices such as the notice needs to be provided to uh, the patient no later than 72 hours before the non-emergent service or, or at the time the appointment was made uh, and a good faith estimate cost is presented to the patient among among many others in regards to the uh, consent document process that also has requirements uh, such as including the date the notice was received uh, and the date and time the consent was signed as well. Um, it is important I think, to note that uh, HHS is, is going to provide these standard documents uh, for notice and consent. But getting back to uh, the, the No Surprise Act itself, so if, if the patient or an authorized representative grants consent to the notice, then that means the patient has waived. They've waived uh, their protections and therefore balanced billing may, may not apply. I want, I want to use the word may 
Uh, I'm, I'm emphasizing the word may because there are circumstances where the notice and consent exception to balance billing does not apply, uh, especially for uh, ancillary services. Uh, so, for example, um, items and services related to emergency medicine, anesthesiology, uh, pathology, radiology, neonatology, uh, whether that's being provided by a physician or a non-physician practitioner, uh, other items and services provided by assistant surgeons, hospitalists, intensivists, uh, diagnostic services, uh, including radiology and laboratory services. Uh, granted, there are there's certain there's certain diagnostic lab lab tests that are not considered ancillary, and because they are not considered ancillary, the the notice and consent exception would apply, uh, thus allowing for for balance billing to the patient. Uh, in addition, the um, <clears throat> other circumstances where the notice and consent exception would not apply is for uh, services that are unforeseen, right, that unexpectedly arise during that standard standard course of treatment. So I know I know I listed a lot of circumstances here where where the notice and consent requirement would not apply, uh, and it's it's generally generally any service where. Uh, the, the impetus around this is any service where the patient may have little control, right? Little control over the particular provider rendering the service, you know, and unfortunately, so unfortunately the opportunity to provide the, the notice and gain consent in order uh, to balance bill the patient is, is very limited. Uh, in terms of the, the process to calculate the cost Sharing amounts, the, the NSA states, uh, No Surprise Act does state that cost sharing for patients uh, visiting a non-participating provider can't exceed those cost sharing amounts of a participating provider. You know, but we all know that when we think about cost sharing amounts from an in-network in-network payers, they're not they're not created equal. They they vary by payer and plan type. So uh, the million dollar question is how do we how do we determine what this cost sharing uh, amount is? And so it all depends on what is referred to as the recognized amount. So in other words, uh, the cost sharing amount that is calculated under the No Surprise Act must equal the recognized amount. And the recognized amount is defined as an amount determined by an all payer model. Uh, so for example, Maryland. If that's not applicable then it refers to first to state law. And if that is still not applicable, it is a lesser of the amount billed by the provider or facility or what is known as the QPA or qualified payment amount. Uh, so the qualified payment amount is defined as the, it's the median contracted rate that uh, for that plan and service and within that geographic region as determined by the payer. So it's really the payer, not the provider that determines the amount uh, that the provider may balance bill. Uh, and it's calculated using that median contracted rate for the coverage service by that plan within that geographical area. I mean, this is, this is a major shift uh, in the way patient responsibility has been calculated in the past, um, where where it, be, where, it, where it may just be the gross charge minus whatever the insurance paid or allowed amount. Um, and so in terms of calculating the patient's responsibility, you know, non-participating providers are really at the mercy uh, of the, of the out-of-network payer to determine the, 
the patient responsibly, this can be, you know, this can be really concerning uh, since it's the providers, right, that, that have the that have skin in the game here. Absolutely. Great information there, Govi, and thanks for your insights on surprise billing requirements. Um, I'd like to move over to another price transparency topic, and this one's for you, Fred. Um, can you tell me about the new rule that CMS has proposed around price transparency, and in particular, the penalties and the impetus for this new rule? Sure, Mike. I'd, I'd be very happy to do that. So, you know, effective uh, January 1, 2021, hospitals were required to produce and publish on their website both a machine-readable file to include the negotiated rates for all payers and all items and services, and they were required to produce a consumer display or a patient estimation system, including the same information for consumers to easily search 300 top shoppable items. Unfortunately, Mike, many studies, including a study conducted by Panacea, have shown that as of June of this year, only about half of the hospitals nationwide have complied. As a matter of fact, CMS recently suggested that even fewer hospitals have fully complied. So consequently, Mike, on July 19th, CMS proposed in the OPPS rule, uh, they included significant uh, increases in this penalty to take effect January 1, 2022. The penalty for not complying in 2021 after a warning and appeal period uh, capped out at 109500 So in other words, under the current rules, the maximum penalty a hospital would incur for not complying uh, for 2021 was 109500 per hospital per full year of non-compliance. Now, under the new rule, this, uh, this is the minimum, and the maximum is now over $2 million per hospital. However, I, I wanted to make a note that hospitals with less than 30 beds will continue to be capped at 109500 And it's important to note that the new rule and penalty is actually based on a calculation now that is um, as follows. It's $10 per day up to a daily maximum of 5,500. So just to give you an example, uh, for a 200-bed hospital, uh, they, would be sub they would be subject to a $2,000 per day penalty, which for a full year equates to 730,000, you know, versus the $109,000 penalty in 2021. So you can see that clearly these penalties for a 10 hospital system, for example, averaging 200 beds, per facility would be subject to $7 million in penalties for a full year of non-compliance. So, so, so clearly, you know, providers need to take heed, uh, you know, and, and um, make every attempt to comply as soon as possible. Yeah, CMS is uh, definitely starting to turn up the heat here. Um, Fred, what is uh, Panacea doing to help hospitals comply with price transparency requirements? Well, Mike, uh, Panacea's claims auditor system, which has been used for many years to identify coding, compliance, and charge capture risks and opportunities, it actually provided just like the perfect platform for us to build three new price transparency modules. And what we do is uh, we leverage the claims and the payment and the managed care contract data that the system had already been using for other purposes. And so we're leveraging that uh, uh to provide these two, these three new price transparency modules. And specifically, our system and our process 
uh, does the following. First, we process a full year of claims and payment data using our disaggregation algorithm and report set to identify, as required, the top shoppable items for each hospital within a health system. And simultaneously, while we're doing that processing, Mike, we actually create a very useful average charge or payment uh, profile for each item and service, and we group all the claims uh, through an MSDRG grouper, our outpatient groupers, and pricers. We also load the um, managed care contract terms into our system and the fee schedules into our system, and uh, combined with the processing I just mentioned, we can produce a machine-readable file for all items and services, and we've also built a special subset for the shoppable items and services to actually feed our patient estimation system or to meet the uh, requirements uh, of a consumer display. If you recall, the consumer display uh, just requires that we show the negotiated rates. We don't have to provide an out-of-pocket estimate versus the patient estimation system, which many of our clients have uh, chosen, does provide an out-of-pocket estimate. To do all three components, namely the shoppable list being the first, the machine-readable file, and the consumer display, the process can take up to four months, factoring in data quality validation and time you know, to make any corrections and updates prior to publishing the uh, data on the client website. So really, hospitals should get started now in order to be compliant, fully compliant by January 1. Also, since charges are utilized to calculate the uh, most self-pay discount amounts, in other words, most hospitals nationwide, about 90% of our clients actually will calculate the self-pay discount based on charges, and, uh, and those self-pay discount amounts are now required to be published along with the percentage of charge negotiated amounts. So what's happening is we're seeing an, an increase uh, in hospitals wanting to develop and realign their charge master to be more defensible. And finally, Mike, uh, we're currently offering a free consultation uh, to either review the status of a hospital's compliance or to provide advice, recommendations as they begin the process of meeting the compliance requirements. And during this process, we're also providing a no-cost diagnostic review of the hospital's prices, and we've actually added some special analytics on the shoppable items. Excellent. Fred, if someone wanted to get in touch with you about that consultation, how can they do that? Go to our website, and they'll, they'll see the toll-free number, or they can register on our, on our website uh, there's an area on the website, panaceainc.com. Excellent. Fred Stodelak and Govi Goyal, thanks so much for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.